Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good evening. It is good to see you guys. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are just so glad that you are joining us uh, this evening, that uh, maybe you're joining us online. Maybe it's evening, maybe it's morning. But thank you for watching and being a part of what's happening here. Um, hey, a couple of things. If you're new here, we are extra glad that you're here. So glad that we want to give you a gift. So if you just stand up, tell us how much you make per year, your social security number, then we will give you a thank you. No, um, all you have to do to get a free gift is uh, there's a red welcome card in the, one of the seats in front of you, and you fill that out with some really easy information about yourself. And then after the service, you can go into the lobby, and there's a table that says info. There's a big sign. And you hand that card to the person behind the table, and they will give you a free gift. It's as easy as that. You don't even have to talk to them if you don't want to. You can just say here, and they will say here. And then you're good to go. So it's that easy. But uh, we would just love to thank you for being here. And uh, one other thing I want you to know about Cross Creek is that, um, you know, we're not a church that's designed just for us. We're not about um, making Cross Creek famous and great and all that. We want to be uh, for our city. We want to help Salem. We want to make Salem as great as it can be. It has so much potential, and it's already just an awesome city, but we want to make it even better, and that's why we've started the, this whole For Salem idea. And so every month, we have an opportunity for all of us to be a part of being For Salem, and this month, it's called Thank a Teacher, because we, we love our teachers, because it's February. Love, get it, how that works. And it's super easy. At the info table, we have a bunch of thank you cards. And there's a uh, For Salem card on those and an envelope. And all you need to do is think of a teacher. Maybe it's your kid's teacher. Maybe it's a teacher you had. Maybe it's somebody who's not in the profession of teaching, but they have taught you something in life. What a, wouldn't that be great just to write a quick little thank you and thank them for it? It means a lot to get a handwritten thank you note these days. And so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted just to thank teachers. And if you can't think of anybody... Well, we have a list of the teachers at Shirley Elementary School with their names. And so you can fill that out. Hey, thank you for being part of our community. Thank you for being for the students in our city. And just sign your name, maybe say from Cross Creek if you want to or whatever. And then you just write their name on the card and leave it here and we will get it to them. So it's an easy but awesome way to be for Salem. Okay. Now, um, you might be wondering what this series is all about, especially if you're watching for the first time or maybe you, you weren't here last week. We call it the So What About series. Uh, this is kind of part two. We did this last year, and uh, the response was so well that we thought, you know what, it's, it's important to ask questions. In fact, a lot of times, I think, especially with churches, we think that, you know, the guy with the microphone just tells us what we need to know, and if we ask a question, well, then maybe we're doubting too much, right? Or we don't have enough faith. And what we saw last week in, in uh, the first part of this series is that questions are good. Questions are important. In fact, you don't really grow without questions. Think of your, if you have kids, think of the, how many stinking questions they ask you, right? And then you, then you just start making stuff up. 
Like my kids, they, they'll see somebody on, like, on, on TV or we drive by and there's somebody walking on the street and like, who's that? I'm like, I don't know. That's Fred, okay? And they're like, oh, okay. And then they roll down the window and say, hey, Fred. It gets, don't lie to your kids. It gets awkward. <laughs> but it, you don't grow, and especially spiritually, you don't grow unless you ask questions. Questions are good. Questions are great. It's important to ask questions. In fact, if this whole Jesus stuff is real, which I believe it is, if this Jesus stuff is real, it should be able to hold up to any question. If this is the truth, then any question we have about it, it should be able to hold up to it. It should be able to to stand up to any question and have a reasonable answer. But here's the thing, if we're asking questions, we have to be willing to actually find an answer, right? You know, there's, there's people in your life who ask questions, but they already know the answer they want. And so they hear the answer they want. We, you can't, if you're looking for truth, if you're looking for answers, you have to be willing to follow the answers wherever they go. You have to be willing to look at answers. Maybe it might even change our minds about things. It might even change how we look at the world. I don't know. And so this series, this So What About series, it's, it's a six-week series, and we're in part two of it this week. We're not going to answer every question. Right? We, don't have, we don't have time to answer every single question we all have about Jesus and God and the Bible and Christianity and life and all of that. But what I want to do, what I hope this series does, is create a framework through which we can look at questions, any question that comes up, a framework through which when, when a question comes up that maybe you, know, you haven't heard somebody talk about or something happens in your life, a, th- a framework through which you can, you can look at this question and we can find answers together. We can journey through this together. So that we can explore these questions together. So that's what we're trying to do, create this framework so we can kind of answer the questions that come up in life. Now, one of the probably the most important questions, maybe one of the most difficult questions humans have to answer in life is why is there pain and suffering? Why is there pain and suffering? In fact, every belief system, philosophy, religion tries to answer that question in some way. Why do humans suffer? Why is there pain in this world? And last year, we actually talked about this question um, like before. And uh, we kind of did a comparison of different belief systems and what they say about why there's pain and suffering and, and what we should do about it. And if you're interested in kind of that idea, more philosophical idea of pain and suffering, you can watch it online at yourcrosscreek.com, messages. And if you're already watching this online, well, you're already there. You know how to find it. Good job. But um, I think this question, pain and suffering, one of the reasons we're doing it again this year, because we answered it, we talked about it last year, is that often this seems, this, why is there pain? This seems like the most difficult question for Christians. It's almost like a scary question. And if maybe you grew up in the church and, and you're here and you're like, yeah, that's a good question. I never have a good answer. I try to kind of change the subject if that ever comes up, right? Like if God is real and he is what people say, he's, he's loving and he cares about us and he knows us and he's all powerful and he created everything, then why is there suffering? Why is there, if God is the God of love, why do babies die? That's a tough question. Because either, you know, either he's not powerful enough to do anything about all of this, and therefore not a very good God, or he doesn't care, and he's more of a devil than a God, right? Or, and as many have concluded, maybe this is, maybe you've concluded this, maybe you're watching online, somebody kind of doing it on a whim, 
Maybe what you've concluded is, well, since there is pain and suffering, then obviously there is no God. And we're just kind of, it's all just part of nature, you know, there's really no reason for it. It's just part of the evolutionary process of, you know, the strong survive and the weak don't. It's just part of, part of existence. And why is there pain and suffering? That is a legitimate question. It's a difficult question. I think, you know, when, when it's asked, like I said, we kind of get scared, get uncomfortable with it when we can't think, when you can't think of a quick, easy, straightforward answer, kind of get a little uneasy about it. And, you know, it, it is a kind of an uncomfortable topic to talk about, isn't it? Like there's, you know, I had to cut back on all the jokes because we're talking about pain and suffering today. It's not a comfortable thing. And therefore, often, the church ignores this question. They just, they, they just kind of ignore it and say, well, no, if you follow Jesus, you'll be happy and everything will be great. But that's not, that's not life. That's not what happens, right? We believe that following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life, but we never, it doesn't make it easier. Everyone has pain. Everyone suffers. And so when the church ignores this question, it almost makes it feel like we're not allowed to ask it. Or we, we have asked it and we're told, well, you know, you just don't have enough faith. Or, even worse, well, you've done bad things, so you just get to lay in the bed you made. Enjoy it. That's why you're suffering, why you're in pain, because somehow you did something bad, right? By the way, that is not Christianity. That's an idea called karma, which is the exact opposite of Christianity, and we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. And those answers of, you know, well, you just need more faith, or, you know, well, you're just getting punished by God, that just makes the pain worse, doesn't it? It just makes you feel like you're, you're hurting, and now not only are you physically or emotionally hurting, now it's this, there's this guilt tapped onto it. It just makes it worse. And the truth is, pain and suffering are real. And so they deserve a real answer. And it's not a new question, why is there pain and suffering? Is God is good, why is there why is there pain? It's not a new question. It's not a question philosophers or, you know, those evil atheists came up with to, to stump the, the good believing Christians. It's nothing new. And this is not a question that God wants us to hide from either. God wants us to ask questions. He doesn't want us just to be blind sheep following along with whatever anybody says. God wants us to ask questions and to think for ourselves and to dig deeper and to, and to really know why we believe what we believe, why we accept some things, why we reject other things. God wants us to ask questions. He encourages us to actually ask this question, why is there pain and suffering? In fact, <clears throat> one example of God wanting us to ask this, he actually gives us the words on how to ask this question. In 600 BC, a guy, an ancient Jewish uh, prophet, the guy who kind of spoke for God, Habakkuk, which is, you know, if you're looking for kid names, Habakkuk. Not bad, right? It's, it's unique. Anyway, so 600 BC, a, a Jewish prophet named Habakkuk asked God this question. This is, this is in the Bible, guys. How long, Lord, and tell me if this sounds familiar to anything you've ever experienced. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. 
By the way, this is like 600 BC. You think, you know, we know nasty violence and stuff now. 600 BC, violence and injustice. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You ever feel that way? You ever say something like that to God and then feel guilty? It's okay. It's in the Bible. You can say it. You're allowed to. He encourages us to ask this question because we all experience that question. You ever had that? Like, God, why aren't you doing anything? You are God. You could stop this. Why aren't you doing anything? Had a diagnosis that scared you. God, why aren't you? Why'd you let this happen? Why'd you let them die? I remember, um, I don't remember how many, it might have been five years ago, um, at another church I, I was working at, we had a very young couple, they just got married, and they, they, they're pregnant with their first baby, and everything's fine through the pregnancy, and then the baby's born, and there's a complication during the birth. And the baby's brain dead and on life support. And I remember driving home on Kubler, and just being like, God, what are you doing? Like, why would you kill this baby? What is, like, wouldn't it be so much better? Wouldn't it be such a greater story if you miraculously healed this baby? Like, I I was yelling, and the windows were rolled up. I was yelling in the car, why are you doing this? And the baby didn't survive. It's like, what? It doesn't make sense. Like, in, in our mind, it does not make sense. Why do these things happen? Pain is real. That is real life. We can, we, you know, we can try to distract ourselves. We can say, you know, well, you know, we can try to buy our way out of pain, just to entertain ourselves. We can try to, you know, do whatever to distract ourselves, drink, smoke, whatever you try to do to distract yourself from the pain. But pain is real. It is there. You can run from it for as long as you want, but it is there. It is real. And I think it needs more than a philosophical answer. It needs more than like a catchy saying, right? Like, you know, well, everything happens for a reason. Tell that to somebody whose, whose mom just died of cancer. Well, everything happens for, you can get punched in the face. And honestly, and, and hear me out and church people, you'll be okay. Real pain needs more than just having a few Bible verses thrown at it. It doesn't help just to have somebody quote a Bible verse and be like, oh, now you're good. We need more than that. See, when you're diagnosed with cancer or a loved one dies or a tsunami kills thousands of people or someone hurts you through no fault of your own, you need more. You need more just than some simple answer or some catchy little phrase. And there's no answer that will make anyone feel better in these moments. There's not some magical answer that we can find, but maybe, maybe we can find a different way of looking at this pain. Maybe we can find a a different way of looking for an answer. Maybe we can create a framework to actually look at this question and and come to an agreement on something. Because here's the thing, the, the answer to pain and suffering, it must be a personal answer, not a philosophical answer. It must be personal because pain and suffering are personal. This is probably one of the most personal topics we can talk about because we've all been there. We've all experienced it. And so just to throw out some like, philosophical answer of, you know, everything happens for a reason, that doesn't help us. And so, you know, if you're, if you're here and you're, you don't call yourself a Jesus follower, you are in the right. We designed this church specifically for you. If you're like, man, I can't believe I'm in a church. I can't either. 
You're in the right place. We designed this for you. And I wanted to explore this question for people who are Jesus followers and people who aren't. And if you aren't a Jesus follower, what I, think, <clears throat> what I hope you'll get out of tonight is maybe see the, the lens through which Jesus followers see the world. The lens through which uh, Jesus said anyone can see the world if they follow him. So yeah, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. You're completely safe tonight. Everybody actually is. It's okay. We have seven exits. So let's get into it. The root question. If God is loving, why does he allow pain and suffering? If God is loving, why does he allow pain and suffering? So let's start at the very beginning of that question. Is there proof that God is loving? If we kind of assume it, in the, if God is loving, is there proof that he's loving? And guess what? The answer is yes. You knew that. Right? There is proof that God is loving. In fact, I, I believe there's millions of proofs God is loving. And we could go through that whole list later. But I think the one proof that matters, that matters for this question of pain and suffering, the one proof that God loves us is Jesus. Jesus is proof that God loves you. And before, maybe you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, and you know, the teacher would ask a question, and everybody raises their hand, and the teacher calls them, and they say, Jesus, right? And you know, they say, hey, you know what? Who, who died for your sins? Jesus, good job, little Johnny. You're doing great. Now, you know what? Who, who made the ark? Jesus. No, it's not always Jesus. And it sounds like that, right? The, the answer to, you know, Jesus is proof that God loves you. But it's, it's so much better than just the little, easy, simple Sunday school answer. So let's, let's look at those details. Jesus existed. There's no, like, legitimate historian who says, no, there's never a Jesus. He's just kind of all put... The, the historical record shows there was a guy in first century uh, Israel called Jesus who, who did something. Right? They, all historians agree there was a Jesus and that he claimed to be God. He actually said, hey, I am God, which, you know, the C.S. Lewis said, you know, either that means he's crazy, which if I told you right now I'm God, hopefully you would think I was crazy. Either he was lying or he really was. Those are the three options, right? And he, we have historical proof. He said he was God and that he taught that God isn't distant. God isn't angry. God loves us like a good heavenly father. And for calling himself God and for saying, hey, God isn't this distant deity that you have to grovel to, the religious leaders of the day hated him. Because this guy is saying, I'm God, and the way the religious leaders are telling you that you should grovel because they want power over you isn't actually how it is. They didn't like that. And Jesus said that he came to rescue humanity, that he was the, the savior that all the, the Jewish history led up to. And... He said that to, to save the world, to save humanity, he was going to have to die. But that in three days, he would, he'd rise again, and nobody believed him. Because he's this religious leader who talk, talked in parables. People thought, okay, it's just a metaphor. You know, he'll, he'll get sick or something, and it'll be okay. But he said, I'm going to die. Nobody believed it until he died. But at the, when he died, nobody said, oh, yeah, this is what he talked about. Everything's going to be cool. Like nobody believed, at that point, nobody believed he was God. Nobody believed what he had said about anything because he'd said, I am the way to God. All of it relies on me. I am God. I can, I can, when you see me, you see God the Father. 
And now he died. So obviously he's not God. There was no like, okay, let's write down what he said and we'll start a religion because, you know, he was all about love and stuff, which he was about love. But that wasn't what he based it on. He based it all on himself. And so when he was dead, it was over. And everybody thought that, <clears throat> everybody thought that he would do exactly. By the way, I, my voice isn't changing. I just have a cold. <laughs> okay? Don't worry. I got through that phase. <laughs> but everybody thought he would stay dead until he didn't. Until he came back to life three days later like he said he would. He predicted it and he pulled it off. And this isn't like some legend, right? He actually came back to life. Hundreds of people saw him. He talked with them face to face. He ate meals with them. He wasn't like just some, you know, mystical, spiritual idea. And it's not, like I said, it's not a legend that grew over hundreds of years. Because the information that we have, the historical record that we have, writing about, hey, Jesus said he would die. He died and he came back to life. It was written. These, the historical documents were written when the eyewitnesses were still alive to say, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, that, the breakfast on the beach when he came back to life, we did have fish. Like you, and the writer said, go ask him. Go ask him. So it's a historical fact that Jesus said, God loves you so much that I came to die for you. And when someone will die for you, they're for you. So is God loving Does God love you enough to die for you? See, no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens around you, the framework that we can look through, the lens that we can use, is the historical fact of Jesus. Historical proof that God does love us. So God is loving. God loves us. So if God loves us, why do we suffer? Why is there pain? Well, there's two types of suffering. Let's talk about that for a second. It's going to get really good. You're excited about talking about suffering, right? Why do we suffer? What is suffering? Well, there's two types of suffering, really, two main types. There's suffering caused by evil, by people who hurt other people. Then there's suffering and pain caused by, you know, natural things, sickness, earthquakes, tornadoes, those types of things. Two types of suffering, the, the evil kind and then just the natural kind that happens. And here's the thing. Jesus is the answer to both of those. So why does, let's start with the first one. Why does God allow evil? Right, the exact topic. Why does God allow evil? God allows evil because God loves us. What? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. God allows evil because God loves us? See, God loves us enough to give us freedom. It's not really, you can't, you can't love somebody without there being freedom in that relationship, right? You can't say, you can't like force somebody to love you. That's not love, that's intimidation. That's manipulation. That's not love. L- true love requires freedom where each party is free to choose to love the other. That's freedom. God doesn't want a bunch of robots If he did, he could have made that, but he didn't. He gave us freedom to choose. There's no love without freedom. It's the basis of every loving relationship. But there's a dark side to freedom. See, yeah, we're free to love, but we're also free to hurt. We're free to hurt ourselves. We're free to hurt others, and we do. 
Some people call that evil. In the church world, we call that sin, that we choose to hurt others. We choose to put what we want ahead of other people. That's what freedom brings. And so why doesn't God destroy evil? Like we all wish he would. Well, to destroy evil, he has to do one of two things. He has to take away freedom, which then now there's no more love. Or he has to destroy evildoers. Like, yeah, destroy them. That'd be awesome. Like, why wouldn't he, we'll just go to the, the example everybody uses. Why wouldn't he just kill Hitler, right? Just kill him. Or not. Depends what side you're on. But maybe you shouldn't do that no matter what. Anyway, <laughs> it's live, guys. Isn't that great? You don't get that when you're watching online. Anyway, so we want, we want evil destroyed. We want dis- evildoers destroyed. But here's the thing. To destroy evil, you have to be destroyed because you're evil. That's so offensive. But we are. You might not think it, but see, you've been hurt, haven't you? Somebody has hurt you in your life in some way. So have you. You've hurt others. You've put what you want above others. We can call that a mistake, but a mistake you do on purpose over and over and over is something else. So yes, that's offensive that I'm calling you evil, but I'm calling myself evil as well. See, we all want justice until it's pointed at us, right? We all want evildoers punished until we realize oh crap, that's me too. So God doesn't destroy evil because he loves us. He doesn't destroy evil because he'd have to destroy all of us, the doers of evil. You might say, okay, that kind of makes sense. So what about natural disasters? If God is loving, why does he allow natural disasters? Why does he allow diseases? Why does he allow meaningless accidents that kill millions of people? honest answer? I think that's an honest question that deserves an honest answer. I don't know. We might never know why God allows those things, that that tsunami that happened a few years ago that killed millions of people. I don't know why. But with that, let's use this framework that we're creating. There is proof, I think undeniable proof, that God loves us that God is loving, that he would come and and die for all of humanity. So if he loves us, using that framework of love, we know that everything he does and allows, whether we understand it right now or not, everything he does and allows is because he loves us. If he truly is loving and he allows it, then there must be a loving reason behind it. And we might not understand it, we might never understand it, but... Just because we can't imagine a good reason for God to allow suffering doesn't mean there isn't one. Just because I can't imagine a good reason, if there is an infinite, eternal, all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God, I might not know the reason, but he does. If there really is that God, there's lots of things he does that I don't know and will never know. It's kind of like, when we, had, when we had our kids and they're, they're babies and they have to go to the, the doctor, nurse person and get their blood tested, right? And they, they like prick their foot or whatever and they use a little thing. And then they have to, I don't know if they have to, but they have to squeeze their heel to get the blood out of my baby. 
And my baby had no idea what's going on, why this stranger is cutting them and squeezing the wound and putting this... This this is barbaric, by the way. (laughs) But it was for their own good. We were testing their blood to make sure they were healthy in case there was something we needed to do because we loved them. We couldn't explain it to them right right then. But that pain was caused because of love. I think that's a simple example, but it kind of shows the, the idea there that... Maybe, there's not, maybe there is a reason, but we just don't know it. We don't understand it. And since God loves us, we know that he has a good reason. I have a very dear friend, and I've shared this example before, but it's, it's, it's just too beautiful not to share again. Uh, a, a friend of mine, her mom died suddenly in a car wreck. N- n- nothing, you know, not even her fault, died in a car wreck. Suddenly, like no chance to say goodbye, none of that. And you know what she said? She said that as she was, you know, crying out to God, why, why, why? It, it, she, got, she got, I think a friend told her this, or, or somehow she heard it. Basically, it was God's voice saying, if you knew what I know, if you knew what I know as God, you would have asked me to do what I did. Because God is so loving. If she knew what God knew, she would have asked God to take her mom. Because the reason he did it was because he was so loving. That there was a loving reason behind it that she couldn't understand. Isn't that crazy? If God truly is loving, the reason he allows pain and suffering is because of some reason out of his love. Now finally... See, God doesn't just say, well, as, as some people say, you know, well, there's, there's, there's hope of the afterlife. If, if, if you follow Jesus, well, then you'll die and go to heaven, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks about heaven. He doesn't just say, well, your life's going to suck, but, you know, someday you, you can go to heaven. So just bear it now and it'll be okay. See, he doesn't just say, you know, it, it hurts, but you'll get over it. And he actually, God gives our pain and suffering meaning and purpose. God gives our pain meaning and purpose. And if that, that doesn't come up, that's a note for you if you have it, if you're taking notes. He actually gives, there's, see, there's no like pain and suffering for just no reason. It's not just part of nature that we got to get over and, and deal with. He uses it for our ultimate good. See, Jesus gives a better answer than everything happens for a reason. Every painful experience you go through is being used to make something better, is being used to make something more beautiful. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for someone else. Even, even in the mundane. Um, my wife and I have been, we, we have a wonderful house that we've been you know, allowed, to, allowed to live in, but our kids are getting older and they're driving us crazy because they have no yard. And so some of you might know we've been looking for a house for quite a while, and we had a wonderful house. It was beautiful. My parents were going to be able to live next door to us, and we were, we were ready to go. We just had to sell our house, and it all fell, all fell apart. I was mad. Like, when, when you say, tell your kid no, mad? Yeah. Like your three-year-old or your 13-year-old. That's how mad I was. But my wife, being the, the beautiful, wise woman that she is, happy Valentine's Day, um, she said, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's something better for us. And if there's not, maybe the family that does get that house, it's best for them. 
See, maybe, maybe we went through that because God loves that other family so much and he knew that we could handle it. We could handle the disappointment. And maybe there's a family that needs to grow there and, and learn how to love each other better and, and all these different things and, and, and learn who God is. Maybe they'll move in there. It was just down the street. Maybe they'll move in there and find Cross Creek and discover God's love for them. Who knows? But see, that framework of God is loving and everything he does has a loving reason. That changes just disappointment and anger into, into hope and even like joy when you don't get what you want. It's weird. See, through Jesus, pain and suffering are never in vain. They're never pointless. We might not see it in the moment, but God is using our pain and suffering to create something beautiful. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. It's a pretty famous passage. Maybe you've heard it. And we know that in all things, good, bad, mundane, in all things, <clears throat> God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things, not some things not fun things. In all things, he works for good. He's using it. There's no, no pain that's wasted. It's used to make something beautiful. And so why does God allow pain and suffering? We can answer that with a philosophical answer. We can answer that with, you know, different formulas and whatnot, but that's a personal question. And so we need to make that question personal. Not why does God allow pain and suffering? If God loves me, if he truly loves me, why does he let me suffer? Because that's the real question we're asking, right? Why do I have to go through this? If you actually love me, why did that happen to me? If you actually love me, why did I have to go through that? Well, because of Jesus because of the proof of God's love, we can say this. God loves me. It's a fact. Someone will die for you. They love you. God loves me. I am not alone. My pain has a loving reason. It is not pointless. It will be used for a good I might not be able to imagine right now. That is the love, the proof of God, of God's love. See, Jesus is the answer to all our questions of pain and suffering. All of our personal questions of pain and suffering. Does God understand what I'm going through? See, here's, God doesn't just know that you are suffering because he knows everything and he, he, he's watching you ready to strike. God doesn't just know that we are suffering. God knows what it is to suffer. Jesus, born in first century Israel to a teenage mother, 100% human, 100% God, knew what it was to suffer, knew what it was to have friends and most likely parents die. He knew what it was to see disease. There weren't the cures that we have now. He saw lepers, leprosy, and what it did to the human body. He saw injustice as his people were under the thumb of ancient Rome. He knew torture. He was tortured. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be lonely. He knew what it was to be completely misunderstood by his entire family and friends and his whole country. 
He doesn't just know that you're going through it. He's been there. He's experienced it. He knows what it is to suffer. Or this, am I suffering? Am I going through this because God's left me? Because he's mad at me and he's, he's lifted his blessing, whatever that is, lifted his blessing off of me. Here's your answer. That's what Jesus said. And surely, whether your name's Phil or Shirley, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yeah, but are you with me when I totally screwed up and made a mess of my life? I'm with you always. Yeah, but you know, what if like when I hurt people and I made those choices and I ruined everybody's life, are you still? Always. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You're not, we're not alone. See, pain makes you feel isolated. Pain makes you feel alone. Pain makes you feel like you're the only one who knows what's going on and you have to keep it to yourself because you're going to bother other people. Jesus says, you're not alone. I am with you always. If you are my follower, you are never alone. I am always with you. Okay, well, why doesn't God do something about all the evil and the pain and the suffering? He did. He already did something about it. Jesus took the pain of sin, of evil, took the pain of death so that we don't have to. What would you do? Even if you don't have kids, I think you understand this. What would you do to take away the pain of a child? What would you do to take away the pain of your child? Right? When, even when my kid has a cold, I'm like, just give it to me. I mean, and away from you, because they did give me this. But let me take it out of you and put it, just put it in me. I'll suffer for you. Right? We all would say that. Say, I would rather go through it than you. Give it to me. I'll carry it. Reminds me of this, this story of a, of a dad driving in the car with his son. And his son's in the back seat. And um, this bee flies in into the car. And the son is deathly allergic to bee stings. And they don't have their EpiPen, right? And so this bee's flying around. The son's freaking out. And the dad reaches and grabs the bee and lets it sting him and lets it go. It's now harmless. See, Jesus took the sting of death, of pain, for us on the cross so that we don't have to. So that ultimately... Our hope is with him. Our, our peace is with him. He took the stinger out of death. Death isn't the end. So why, does, why doesn't he do something about evil and pain? He did. See, Jesus' resurrection is proof that suffering and death are not final. If you're following along in the notes, I've jumped around a little bit. It'll be okay. Jesus' resurrection is proof that suffering and death are not final. And so you might be saying, okay, well, that's, then why is he waiting? Like, let's just end this now. Right? There's, there's the people who are with him. There's the people who are not. Let's just get it over with. What's he waiting for? Why do we have to go through this still? The apostle Peter, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, actually said this to answer that question. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise that he will make everything right one day, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is he waiting? Because he wants as many people as possible to experience his true love, his true peace, his true joy, and to be with him always. And here's one more aspect of pain and suffering. Often it can be a reminder that life is short. 
that none of this is going to last forever, that we all have a limited time here on earth. Pain and suffering often is a way for God to get our attention, to, to, make, to make us ask those questions of, of why am I going through this? Is there something bigger than myself? Is there a better plan going on than what I can see? Answers that only he can provide. In fact, again, the, the great thinker C.S. Lewis wrote this. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. See, sometimes God uses pain just so he can show us how much he loves us, just so he can show us that he is there, that he is with us. It's a reality that brings hope, peace, comfort, even joy. That when we're going through pain and suffering, we know he is with us. We are not alone. We know that he loves us. And we know that because he loves us, there is a good reason that he is using this for. Maybe we'll understand it. Maybe we won't. But we can trust him because he loves us. And every belief system, every philosophy has tried to answer the question of pain and suffering. Why do humans suffer? But like I said, pain is not philosophical. It is not an illusion of our senses. It is real, and it is always personal. And the only answer that redeems our pain, that redeems our suffering, that uses it for something, that gives it a reason, that gives it purpose and meaning and value, it has to be personal because pain is personal. And Jesus is the only one who offers a real, look you square in the eye, honest, personal answer. Because he knows it. He's experienced pain. He will redeem it. He will use it. And one day he promises he will end it. This is his promise. He will wipe away, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is his promise. That is the future that he, he wants to bring to those who love him and follow him. That's why, that's the whole point of all of this. See, the answer to pain and suffering is personal because the answer is a person. The answer to our personal pain and suffering is actually personal because it's a person. It's not a philosophy. It's Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us and the band's going to come up and we'll sing one more song. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that there's proof that it's not just some you know, nice idea that God loves everybody, but that you proved it. That you proved it by, by coming and dying for us to give us a new life now and forever. A life of meaning and purpose. A, a, a life where, where pain and suffering has meaning and has purpose. It's not just something that happens to us, but it's something that you use for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for choosing to know what suffering is. Show us this week how much you love us. Show us this week how you are orchestrating our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing one more song.
stronger than the power of the angry. Constant in the trial and the change. One end remains. One end remains. You love for coming. But you guys have a great week. We'll see you next week.